Welcome to the Birth Nurses Podcast. I'm Shana Brickner from Preparented, and I'm joined by my co-host Liz Baker-Wade from Birth and Beyond in Santa Monica, and we are the Birth Nurses. In this podcast, we're going to talk about birth, babies, breastfeeding, nursing practice, and more from our perspective as nurses in the hospital world. From two women who have been on both sides of the birthing bed, we've got some things to talk about that will enhance your understanding of birth. Whether you're a newly pregnant, first-time parent, or expecting your second baby and you want a better experience this time around, this podcast is for you. Join me and my co-host and special guests as we discuss birth from the womb to the room. Hey, everybody. We're back with the Birth Nurses podcast. And today I'm interviewing my friend Gretchen. She is going to tell us a little bit about herself and her birth plan and her birth story. So I'll pass it off to you, Gretchen. Can you tell us just a little bit about you, who you are, and we'll go from there. Cool. Yeah, thanks for having me. This is fun. Um, (laughs) So I'm Gretchen, like you said. Um, I'm 30. got pregnant for the first time when I was 29, but I live here in Los Angeles and um, just have the one baby Savannah so far, who's almost one year old. Amazing. And she is the sweetest little girl. So did you deliver in a hospital setting? Yes. With the midwives at UCLA, Santa Monica. Awesome. And did you have a birth plan? I did. What was your plan for your birth? So I was the super nerdy person that actually made a document and printed three copies. So (laughs) I literally have it in front of me. Hey, what was, what was on your birth plan? Can you tell us a little bit like bullet points or the main highlights? So I had during labor, no medication, free movement, natural water rupture, intermittent monitoring, as opposed to being monitored the whole time. I didn't want to be like hooked up to cords and wires. I didn't want an IV either. I wanted to be able to eat and drink food as I desired, um, labor in, you know, all different positions, um, and limited cervical exams. And then I put on here, no students, please. (laughs) (laughs) Sometimes that can be a little awkward. Yeah. (laughs) Students, wide-eyed, like, what is happening? (laughs) So what happened in your birth? Like, that was your birth plan, but did it actually come to fruition? What happened? Yeah, I would say 90% of it came to fruition. So Savannah was born three days early. And because of some, not really complications, but just some things that they were keeping an eye on during my pregnancy, it was basically, if I didn't go into labor naturally by my due date, I was going to have to be induced, which was obviously contrary to all of my wishes. So I was really, really praying for um, an early birth. I guess I should mention, mention I also have Crohn's disease. And so um, with Crohn's disease, it's an autoimmune digestive condition. And typically if you are in remission and then you get pregnant, there's no issues. But then if you're flaring, meaning active disease activity, and then you go into, uh, or sorry, you go into a pregnancy, then you're likely to have issues throughout the pregnancy. So that was the situation for me. And I had to be on prednisone steroids to keep it controlled. So that was the reason why um, there were some concerns about Savannah going past the due date due to 
the steroids can kind of compromise her certain things to do with her, her growth. And so it definitely threatened the birth plan. (laughs) There were many moments where I was thinking, okay, I'm going to have to reconcile with giving up on it. And I'm probably just going to get a C-section. And I honestly was cool with that. Mm. Like whatever was best for Savannah would have been fine, but it was just kind of a nice gift from God that I was able to, to do the birth plan after all. So three days before the due date, um, I went for a walk before in like the graveyard next door that's like super hilly and it was a hot day. And um, that I think is what did it. Well, so yeah, I went for a walk with a friend with a friend and um, just super aggressive up and down hills. And then, yeah, like a few hours later, my water broke at home. And I knew from you know all the books and articles that your best hope of getting through a natural birth mm-hmm. is like staying home as long as possible so that you don't end up at the hospital and things are running slow and you get interventions and all that. Yep. So I stayed for like an hour. By the time we were in the car on the way to the hospital, it was already every two minutes. I was having like a minute long contraction or something like that. Wow. And then by the time we got there and they checked me, I was already like six or seven centimeters. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. It's funny too, because on the way, Dave was like, my husband trying to reassure me like, no, I don't want you to be really disappointed. You're probably just like one or two centimeters. You have a really low pain tolerance. So... <laughs> And I'm like, yeah, babe, you're probably right. Maybe I'll get an epidural. I don't know. <laughs> but it was turned out fine. Like I was almost in transition by the time we first got checked. So um, they did want to monitor me for a little bit when I first got there, which as you can imagine, already being that close to transition, it's pretty tough to like lay still mm-hmm. with no epidural. <laughs> I really wanted to be like standing up and laboring. So I, I kind of wish I would have pushed back on that a little more. But um, it was reassuring in the sense that then we knew that the baby was fine. That's awesome. Yeah. Wow. Um, Yeah. And I guess from there, like just kind of labored standing up a lot, like, and then pushing was like 45 minutes and out she came. (laughs) Whoa. That seems unusual. It went so fast for you, for your first labor and delivery. Well, it sounds like most of that was great. Was there something that wasn't good? I would say it was honestly pretty ideal. It was also really important to me that Savannah came to my skin to skin and like we did breastfeeding like right away and I didn't want her like bathed or anything um, too prematurely. And so I was really happy that that worked out. I think, um, yeah, it was just really painful, like trying to sit still and be monitored for a little bit. Um, at the beginning, but zero regrets about not having IVs and not having interventions. And like, shockingly, I found the pain somewhat manageable. Um, So I'm really glad that everything worked out according to plan. I think um, one other thing I forgot to mention, I had actually tested positive for group B strep. Hmm. I told you that. But then kind of by the time I arrived, it took us an hour to get the bag packed and everything. And since the water had broken at the beginning, they would want to start the antibiotics. But by the time I arrived, it was kind of like too late. So that's a little, I mean, it turned out fine. There was zero complications from it, but I guess could be a little bit risky to the baby if you don't get the antibiotics when you're supposed to. So I guess that was kind of one thing. But other than that, yeah, six hours from the first contraction until she was in my arms. That's amazing. So did you notice any like postpartum issues, postpartum like baby blues or anything like that? I was super emotional 
definitely cried a lot, but I think it was mostly tears of joy. <laughs> and then a little bit of hysteria from just sleep deprivation the first couple of weeks. Yeah. But that cleared up pretty quickly. Okay. Uh, do you think your birth experience contributed to your postpartum health mentally, your mental health? And that could be the positive spin on it too. Like looking back on your birth story. Yeah. Are you like, did that affect your postpartum mental health? I think so. Cause I had no regrets. Like I really felt strongly from all my research about the no interventions, natural birth situation. And there was a lot of health benefits for me and the baby of doing it that way. And yeah, I think I felt glad that I was able to offer that to Savannah. Um, and I just, yeah, I didn't have any regrets. So it was a good feeling. And they, the recovery was super easy too. So I, although I did get my stitches, I had a few stitches and they did get infected at one point, but that was just more of a uncomfortable nuisance than anything. I felt okay. back to normal within a couple of weeks. Would you do anything different if you were pregnant again for your next birth? I would love to try a home birth or a birthing center next time. Sounds fun. (laughs) (laughs) I'm one of those weird people. I genuinely think labor is fun. (laughs) Well, then you are the perfect person to be on this podcast and (laughs) advocate for other women to be pregnant. That's how I am too. Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) And by the way, Shana, I don't think I've told you enough how helpful it was that you came over when Savannah was like four weeks old and you were prepared with like blueberries and healthy snacks and like pads and <laughs> all the good stuff for your package. And you totally just like, let me whip out the boob and like show you the latch and get advice. And honestly, that is so helpful to have someone that you can trust to give advice on breastfeeding for the first time. And we talked about everything and just found that conversation extremely comforting and helpful. So definitely anyone that's going through their birth and postpartum for the first time would benefit from working with a postpartum doula, specifically you. Oh, thank you. Yeah. And it was, it was fun too, to like go over, um, your, the specific swaddle that you had for Savannah and you showed me your little trick of using the hair dryer on her butt. Oh my gosh, good memory. <laughs> Look with cool air, not hot air. It's um, one of those multi-generational yeah. things. I love it. It's like down. mom hack, like dry the booty. Yeah, that yep. was fun. Well, thank you so much for sharing, Gretchen. I'm really glad your birth plan worked out for you. And I hope that gives other pregnant women hope that it can work out for them too. Hey everybody, this is Shayna with the Birth Nurses, and today I have my friend Talia here. She's such a dear friend of mine, and she has a really amazing birth story, and I want you guys to hear from her. So Talia, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, where you're from, um, are you first-time mom, that kind of stuff. So my name is Talia, and I grew up in the Berkeley Hills, but also went to high school in Maryland. Now I'm from Long Beach, California, and have been here with my husband for nine years. 
first time mom um always feels like a funny question or I don't know I never know exactly what to say because I have been pregnant two times before this pregnancy but um those ended in miscarriage so depending on who I talk to I end up saying something about that or not um yeah baby girl Una is five months almost six months technically six months this week so did you have a birth plan or just a plan for your birth experience uh definitely the latter I had a plan for my birth experience um we I was planning to deliver at a birth center with a midwife and a doula um and that pretty much yeah it because we all kind of agreed on the philosophy of how we about birth it wasn't necessary to write out like this is what I want because pretty much what I want is what they do anyway exactly um yes that is what it was (laughs) so did your plan for your birth experience pan out the way that you were expecting or not not (laughs) Uh, tell us more (laughs) almost in every way well I don't know I guess on paper almost in every way it was completely different um so I hit 42 weeks so it's two weeks post term is that what it's called Mm -hmm. um and the birth center could only take me could their rule uh, is you have to be in active labor by active labor by midnight of 42 and zero days. Wow. And that did not happen. And it was, we were obviously clued into the fact that that was a possibility with it. Like once I hit past 41 and a couple days, so somewhere between 41 and 42 weeks, we scheduled an induction at, uh, our local hospital. Um, that actually has a good relationship with the birth center. So that is helpful for sure that they take those clients when this happens. Um, right. So it wasn't shocking. But it's not like you didn't try to go into spontaneous labor. Like you did all the things. I tried hard. I ran hills. I did acupuncture for the first time in my life, which was <laughs> wow. super intense. So intense. I almost passed out for a second. Oh it was, I don't think I'll ever do it again, but um, <laughs> what else did I do? I don't know. The clincher was that I tried castor oil and it worked for its prescribed purposes, but, and I actually did have a, like a full night of contractions, but it didn't actually turn into labor. Uh, didn't the midwife strip your membranes? Oh yeah, oh, we did yeah. that twice. Yeah. That was super gnarly really intense. I almost passed out after the first time that she did it. Yeah. (laughs) So I really tried. Yes, you did. Um, so tell us about the hospital experience then. Like how did that all go? Yeah. So I walked away. I mean, I have a lot of feelings about it. Also, I'll just mention because of the timing of the pandemic, I haven't really talked about this that much because I couldn't get together with people almost yeah. right after when I was born. So anyway, 
Um, I walked away from the experience feeling positive. Like it, it was overall a positive experience, although my husband would say something different, but for me, it was positive. My, all the medical people, all the medical team were really great. Uh, each one of the nurses. And then actually we had been to the hospital clinic a couple times before within that two week post-term period for follow-up monitor, like closer monitoring. Um, and we had an appointment with a particular doctor who we joked at the time, like, Oh, well, if I have to end up delivering here, like let's request him, which it was a joke because I understand how it works where it's just whoever's on call. Like it's, it wasn't like we could request that person, but he was the one that delivered Una and he, it was three nights, like a three night process, the induction. And so he was there that first night and then the next night. And then the shit, it like, right as I was ready to start pushing, it was the shift change and he just walked in and I was like, well, that's awesome. So that was all really positive. Um, my doula was still there. Um, she still was my doula for the labor and delivery process. So that was good consistency and that was good having her there. Um, yeah, I don't know. Everyone was really professional. The, my doctor made sure to explain every intervention beforehand and like kind of give me options and walk me through pros and cons and, um, I'll just like walk through it. So 42 weeks, zero days. It was a Wednesday night. (laughs) 9 p.m. was when the induction was scheduled for, uh, showed up at nine. Of course I didn't even get into bed until like, I don't know, 10 30 maybe. Um, yeah, it took a long time, maybe 10, but anyway, so baseline, the reason I was there is because I needed to be induced, which in and of itself is an intervention. So it's kind of like, that was the baseline. So the team knew that because I was coming from the birth center, like my philosophy inherently was more is less is more. Yeah. Like I wanted as little intervention as possible. Um, but I wasn't in labor, so we had to start somewhere. So (laughs) So the the doctor recommended a Foley balloon and Pitocin like right off the bat. And I opted for just the Foley balloon because I wanted to see if that could be like the one thing that really kicked me into labor. That's what we did. Um, And I was also at that point, I mean, I, I really wanted to do it without pain medic pain management pain or pain medication rather and specifically I was hoping to not have an epidural although I also knew going once I knew I was going to be induced from what I've heard Pitocin makes contractions worse and so I kind of knew and was resolved to the fact that like I would really likely end up getting an epidural so Anyway, so got the Foley balloon, didn't do the Pitocin. That night I was supposed to sleep, but um, my back was aching all night. And I remember I was texting my little sister who's an OB and just like telling her what was going on. She's like, yeah, that sucks. Um, 
I did end up falling asleep at some point because I remember when the when someone came in in the morning and woke me up to do things. Um, so then by the morning, I wasn't really in labor, although I was still kind of having contractions and my I was achy and things were happening. And then by that afternoon, we started the Pitocin. So now we're on like 2 p.m. Uh, and I didn't have the epidural yet at that point. And I, so let me back up. So the Foley balloon was supposed to like, basically is, was helping me dilate to like three to four centimeters usually. And then it falls out. Um, so my kind of interim goal was like labor out this Foley balloon. Um, and that didn't happen until after the Pitocin started. So we started the Pitocin and I kind of was like, just trying to be really focused about all of it. So as much like we all, we agreed every hour we could increase it. So I was like, okay, that's what we're going to do. Like every hour we'll increase this Pitocin. So that's what I did until, I don't know, for a number of hours. And then I remember the goal, the next goal at some point I, the Foley balloon came out and then I was for sure feeling the contractions at that point. Um, and the next goal was, I remember 7 PM, we agreed that doula would come cause she wasn't there. We were kind of waiting for a logical moment. Like she doesn't need to just be there while I sleep. <laughs> so we agreed at around seven, she would get there. And also that was when the night shift doctor was going to come and check my dilation again. Also somewhere along the way, they decided that baby was not, loving the intensity of the Pitocin and the contraction. So then they backed it off and then my contraction, but contractions backed off again. The next big kind of big thing at once we were back in the Pitocin game was they were starting to just kind of feel unsure about the progress of everything. So he wanted to break my water, put in and put in two monitors, one on her head and one to monitor the strength of my contractions. And whenever that happened, I can't remember right now, at that point, it kind of like, we had been trying for a long enough period of time and clearly they weren't happy with the progress. So we're, you know, always thinking about like the potential end game. So at that point is when I decided it was time for the epidural because not only were was Pitocin making the contractions worse, I'm aware that once someone actively breaks your bag of waters, that also can make the contractions more intense. And to like be inserting things. And it was just like, at that point I was like, yeah, I think we need to kind of make this less intense for me. And my doula and I and Sterling and were thinking about the possibility that they would end up recommending going to C-section, which I was not wanting to do. Like I really wanted, like if nothing else, I would really, I really wanted a vaginal delivery. Yeah. So we're part of my thought process was what I'm like, I know that an epidural can help relax moms in labor. So that can actually help progress the process And it was kind of also a way of like, truly, if this ends in C-section, there's a level of preparedness for that at that point. So got the epidural. 
Um, at one point they pushed like an, like it didn't end up working on my bottom, like this one spot on my bottom left side Mm. and to have contractions in that one spot, like the whole time, it basically just felt like I was being stabbed. (laughs) Um, you're numb and you can't move to like find a comfy position. Yeah. It was pretty frustrating to have that one sensation, like really bad. It really just felt like I was being stabbed. Um, but, but even then, like I kept weighing cause I didn't want to like, I was talking with my doula about the desire to keep some level of sensation down there and like not push too much of the epidural because that helps with pushing, like to have a level of understanding of like the pressure and stuff like that. Yeah. So at some point on Friday, the act of labor became real, but I remember when the daytime doctor told me that like she, like she was excited to tell me that I was in active labor, but hearing that news and not really feeling the labor and then it was just kind of like deflating for me. Like, well, that's dumb. Like I'm in active labor, but like, I can't even feel it except for I'm being stabbed. Um, so it was kind of like, well, cool. Then somewhere along the way I became complete and push that baby out. Yeah, you did. (laughs) Yeah. Um, wow. What did I want to say? Oh yeah. I actually, even after that epidural for the last, maybe like four hours is what my husband Sterling estimates. Uh, I was, they were changing because I was changing positions. So like they helped me, but I would like lift up and move over because they kept feeling like baby was not happy. So my doula after the fact said like having had an epidural, I was more mobile than most people. Like, cause I, I was so focused on like, I really do don't want a C-section. So I was like, I will do anything you tell me <laughs> to like let this keep going. That's awesome. I always love when my patients are like, yes, I will turn for you. Yeah. You. <laughs> like, let's do it. Uh, if I could do it myself, I would, but I need your help. Yeah. That's awesome. And Una was healthy at birth and mostly everything was fine. I know she had a tongue tie or lip tie. Yeah, both tongue and lip tie. Yeah, but generally she was healthy. They had the NICU team in there just in case because she was so post-term. Right. Um, But yeah, they didn't have to do anything. Good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And did you have any like postpartum hemorrhage or... I was like right at the line. Like I lost the maximum amount of blood that was right before it would have been called a hemorrhage. Um, So I probably like 400 something. 500. 500. Yeah. That's what I was told. It was like right at the border. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. I felt horrible (laughs) afterwards uh, when the, when my nurse tried to help me go to the bathroom the first time I just couldn't like we had to abort the mission like yeah. I couldn't even do it but um what do you think was not so good about your whole experience so this isn't necessarily not good but just kind of one more fact is it was about 45 hours beginning to end and you're your last Yeah, it's funny. For me, I didn't really feel that. But when you guys were saying how there's pressure when other people know that you're in labor, I didn't feel the pressure, but 
in hindsight, I realized people were for sure like, is she okay? Because it took so long. <laughs> and then we stopped responding after a certain point. Anyway, so 45 hours, but I wasn't laboring necessarily the whole time. What was not good, the hardest part for me was the Foley balloon. And hopefully this doesn't freak anyone out going forward that hears this and then they end up having to, or end up experiencing that. But the Foley balloon made it really hard for me in the beginning because, or the whole time it was in, because you can really, or I could really feel it. Like whenever I moved, a very uncomfortable sensation of tugging down on my cervix and it restrict, I, because I really didn't like the feeling pretty much right off the bat, it just restricted the movement I was willing to do. So like I was, it was make, it was giving me contractions. Like my body was contracting and it was the beginning of labor. And then I didn't really want to move that much. So like, I didn't want to sit on the yoga ball. I basically didn't want to go up, sit to stand, stand to sit. So like once I was standing, then I could walk around, but anyway, so that was, that was really tough. And kind of, I just had to really play the mental game of, okay, the goal is to labor this out. Like that Mm -hmm. was kind of the game at that point, but I did. I labored it out. Yeah, you did. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So that was tough. Yep. So to end on a high note, what would you say was good about your birth experience? So the, the really, aside from the good medical team that I already talked about, the best part, which really Sterling and I, my husband and I implemented ourselves, which I recommend to all moms going to labor, was making it our own experience with the ambiance and just kind of like what we planned, which would have been at the birth center, but we were also able to do at the hospital. So I have, which we still use this, but we brought a little egg lamp thing that, um, there's a color change mode that filters in and out like red, orange, green, blue. It's all like, I don't know, wild psychedelic (laughs) <laughs> uh, we had that going pretty much the whole time. I brought the charger because it died at one point. And everyone's like, no. <laughs> um, so we had that. And my doula brought these little um, battery oper- operated candlelight tea lights. Um, what else do we have? I brought photos to kind of flip through at one point. Uh, I had friends and family write little affirmations that St- Sterling ended up reading. Um, and then I made a few playlists and for me, I ended up, um, most of the time, basically probably like 40 out of 45 hours, I had it on the chill playlist. And at one point during the process, my doula had the idea to turn the lights off to just kind of like really calm everything down. And from then on, we had the lights off the whole time and just the egg light and the tea lights and the music. And the, anytime someone would walk in that wasn't on kind of like the birth team, they would comment on the room be like, wow, it's so nice in here. And <laughs> uh, my doctor walked in and he was kind of like walking through things with me, telling me what to expect next. And he's like, I just, 
am gonna try to keep thinking of things to say because I really like it in here. It's so relaxing. <laughs> so that was the good part is it even though I didn't want to be in the hospital, we really made it the best that we could and it, it did feel relaxing in there. I think that made a huge difference. So I also think it was good that you didn't go to the hospital with like a written out birth plan because you were able to tell your medical team like everything that you wanted. Right. I mean, I respected that. Yeah. I walked in pretty knowledgeable because I had taken a class and we were working with a doula and kind of like I had been educated on the process enough. I think like I, so I also for sure recommend that. Because if you don't know anything going in, then you might also not know that you can advocate for yourself and make choices. So like having that awareness and kind of confidence is super helpful in the process. It was actually funny. Here's a teeny little anecdote. The first, that first night, the first nurse that came in to help and like one of the first things she was going to do was hook me up to the IV. And I knew that I was going to need an IV for sure anyway because I was GBS positive. So I knew I was going to need an IV, but I didn't necessarily think I needed it right away, like that first second. And so I kind of questioned her. I was like, oh, why are we doing this? And she, I don't remember the answer she gave me, but she, I could tell was like, oh no, like, is this girl going to suck? And then like, we had enough moments after that, that I was like, okay, no, we're good. (laughs) But I I felt like it was a valid question. Anyway, it was funny. It is a valid question. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) um, Mentally, now that you're looking back and like processing your whole birth experience, how do you think you're doing? So... I'm thankful that looking back, I, I do feel positive about the experience. And a lot of that had to do with the medical team being great. Um, so, and also I'm glad that I still had my doula there and that was kind of a, um, so I had that continuity of care because we had been working with her already. Um, so I, I do feel positive about it for what it was. That's kind of how I feel like for the fact that I decided to go with the recommendation of being induced, like I didn't ever really consider it. Like I could have gone rogue and had a home birth and like kept waiting, but I do like, I like the hippie stuff, but I also like the science stuff. So I tried to strike it out <laughs> in my life. <laughs> so went for the science on that. But um, what I believe the, the science shows, but um, anyway, so I feel good about, what it was, but I for sure have lingering sadness about feeling like I missed out on what I was really hoping for. Um, I just, I'm someone that really likes a physical challenge. Like I like running marathons, as you know, and kind of like really feeling the full extent of what my body can do. So I was, I was really looking forward to doing the birth center, but, um, I, I actually think part of part of missing out on that experience has made me like even as hard as it is having a newborn for the first time and a baby for the first time. I'm like, there's this little part of me that's like 
ready for it again <laughs> because I just want to be at the prison. Which <laughs> is so ridiculous. But uh the amnesia I, already set in. Like Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. I, thinking about pain and I don't I feel like probably most people would agree with this, but once you're not in pain, you immediately don't fully remember what the pain was because you're just relieved and like it, you just how can you know what the pain is if you're not in it? So yeah. Yep. Yep. Um, and then did you experience any like um baby blues or like that hormonal shift after you had Emina? Yes. Yes, I did. I would say I had the baby blues for sure. There were tears for sure, multiple times, not every single day. I didn't cry every day, but a few times a week. I remember there's kind of two moments that stick out for sure. One was, I remember we, it was kind of like we woke up for the day and I just felt like I can't wait for nighttime again. Like, I just like, don't want to deal with this day. And like, somehow at that point in my, in the journey of having a newborn nighttime made more sense um, Mm -hmm. than daytime. And so I remember that as a moment where like, clearly I was having a hard time and I just couldn't even face the day. And then there was another time where like crawled into the, we have an extra twin in Una's room. And I just kind of like slinked into that bed and threw the cover over my head and was like, just went in bed. (laughs) So yeah. Yeah. I remember feeling that way with the newborn stage two of like, but kind of the opposite of like, what is nighttime? Like, (laughs) why are we doing nighttime when we're just going to be awake? (laughs) Yeah. So the thing about Una was she was, she wanted to sleep all night, but then because she lost more weight than they were comfortable with, I was given the task of waking her up, making sure that she woke up every two hours so it made more sense because it was like, I'm like on a schedule and also she wanted to be asleep. So that in some ways was helpful, but other ways it was hard to wake her up to eat. So whatever, but yeah. yeah. One thing I learned is when people talk about birth stories before having birthed a baby myself, mm-hmm. it always, I always attributed that to like crazies. I mean, I guess. I always attributed that to something that was like completely out of the norm. Like that, those were the people that had birth stories. Hmm. But now on the other side of it, I realize every birth is a story, even if everything goes to plan because birth is crazy and miraculous (laughs) and so intense. Another thing I did not realize truly is how intense the pushing is. Like it's, really hard work. And this is like maybe annoying to say, but I consider myself to be an athletic person and I was working really hard during pushing the pushing stage. And I kind of thought to myself like, man, like how do people, how do women do this that are not like super athletic people? And so I was like, what my conclusion on that is, it's like when people lift cars to save other people in that moment, it's like women are just 
when it comes down to it, they get the job done and the strength is there, whether they've been training for it or not. Yeah. The adrenaline kicks in. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly how it is. (laughs) Cause I'm not an athletic person, (laughs) but somehow I did it too. It's amazing. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for sharing Talia and I love you and appreciate all the things that you shared. And I know that it will encourage others and help other people on their journey as well. So I love you. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Birth Nurses Podcast. If you enjoyed this, there are a few ways you can support us. First, you can share this podcast with your pregnant friends or new moms. Secondly, you can write a review and rate us on iTunes. And thirdly, we would love if you would check out our Instagram accounts and websites. I'm on Instagram as Preparented and online www.preparented.com. And Liz is on Instagram as Birth Nurse Liz, and her website is birthandbeyond.net. Thanks for listening.